Hey guys, it's Jamie Scrimger here, second wife, stepmom of three, and mom of one. And you're listening to my podcast, where we talk about all things motherhood, stepmotherhood, and living a kick-ass life. If you're ready for raw and real conversations and are striving to live your very best life, then you are in the right place. Every week, I'll provide you with tips and strategies and mindset shifts to inspire you to live your own version of a kick-ass life. We'll bring you along as I create my own. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the podcast. So this week's episode is for all the parents and step-parents who are in the trenches of teenagers. Allison Schaefer, one of Canada's most notable parenting experts, is on the show, and I could not be more excited to have her. So she is a family counselor with a clinical practice in Toronto, Ontario, the author of three best-selling parenting books. She is also a three-time TEDx speaker and has presented to audiences all over the world. She is also the resident parenting expert for so many media outlets, such as The Marilyn Dennis Show, Global Morning, CBC Radio, and The Huffington Post. As well, she also hosts her own TV show, The Parenting Show. Now, Allison delivers her deep insights in ways that today's busy parents can easily understand and immediately apply. She promotes a firm but friendly democratic parenting style and offers practical solutions that are backed by extensive research and 20 years of working with families. I have to tell you that this interview really changed my perspective on parenting teenagers and how we do some things in our household, and I am so excited to share it with you. So buckle up. This is a good one. Let's dive right in. Allison, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. Great to speak with you. I know. I am so excited. I've been thinking about this interview all week. I've been like jotting down questions in my phone because, you know, we have three teenagers in the house now. So we are in the trenches of teenagers. Awesome. How's it going, generally speaking? You know what? I think it's going really well. Um, You know, some days are obviously better than others, but I think teenagers are pretty cool and you'd be able to see their personalities and stuff come out. Obviously we have, um, you know, we had a funny situation with my stepson the other day when he, uh, he had called in, not called in, he had faked sick because he had a test and, uh, (laughs) I knew, I knew he did it and we were actually on vacation at the time. And I talked to him a couple of days later. I said, you know, I know that you fake sick. And he just kind of looked at me. I said, you know, buddy, all the things that I pulled when I was a teenager, like my bullshit meter is pretty high. Like I've, <laughs> I've been there, done that, just so you know. And he kind of just looked at me and laughed and we we ended up talking about it. But I think sometimes they forget that we were teenagers too, right? Well, we forget that we yes. were teenagers too. And and to your point, like both my kids were like way better behaved <laughs> moral citizens than I was. Um, and, uh, and I'm so glad that you're remembering to enjoy the time. Uh, I, I think, I think as our, if we can stand back in awe as our kids blossom and know that, yeah, they're going to pull some shit too, but so did we. And, you know, it's not really, it's ca- not catastrophic. I'd rather to your point, share the laugh and talk about it than uh, to have it create hardship and distance in the relationship, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I was even saying to my husband, I was like, think about all of the things that you were doing in grade 10 and 11. I said, because I know what I was doing and I just hope to God that they're not doing it either (laughs) or doing it too. I I, I wouldn't go back and repeat my childhood. You know what I mean? Like, I think we also forget how stressful it is just navigating 
pure relationships and the demands and like the things that are so feel like, you know, life threatening when you're in grade 10, you know, who's, who's sitting at what table in the cafeteria. And, you know, I mean, just the the, the nuances that are so important, you know, Um, I, I think we have to really try to live through their experience and try to remember how important those things were, even though they're not important to us now, they, they, they were then, and they are just important to our teens. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I was actually, again, talking to my husband about being a teenager in high school, like a teenage girl. And I said to him, I said, you know, my stomach would hurt because I had so much anxiety just about my peers and about fitting in and about things that people may or may not be saying and all of the pressure. And he said, no, it's not that bad. And I said, you don't know what it's like. You know, there's definitely different gender roles too and stressors that come in high school. It's like, you don't, you don't know what you don't know. And I would not go back there. If you paid me to go back to high school, I would, I wouldn't do it. It was fine, but I, that's not a period of my life that I want to repeat. No. And, and there's different challenges with kids today, which is why I think one thing that's really helpful, even if your kids don't really open up and talk much to you, because sometimes they really shut down communications with their parents at this time of life, but try to get into their world through other ways, whether that's watching shows where the, the main characters are teens or reading um, youth teen fiction, where it talks more about their experience. Nothing like a good book to make you drop into what's going on for a character, right? So go pick up some books about like, not like these are fictional books, but they're about kids in modern day. And uh, I think it's a great way to crack into that world. Yeah. Cause it's definitely different now with social media and all of that. Now um, I want to dive into some of the questions that I have for you. Yeah. Um, I obviously did the intro before. So what do you think the biggest mistake that parents make when they're parenting teenagers is? Well, they're making a lot of mistakes, but I would put them the biggest or the the, the umbrella would be um, lack of respect. And the, the, the lack of respect is a blind spot for parents. They don't even realize they're being disrespectful. But one of the ways that we're disrespectful to teens is when we underestimate them and use control tactics to micromanage them. So we, we, we can't step back and let them run their lives. We are like in their business, like no tomorrow. And the way we're in their business is usually pretty critical, pretty harsh, pretty disrespectful. Um, and they, they don't like it and they dish it right back to us. Uh, (laughs) so, so I would say, yeah, I, I just, I love that you opened with like, oh, it's so wonderful to enjoy these people that are coming into their own. But most parents are saying my kid is messing up. They're not studying hard enough. They're a pig. They're, they're, they don't have any time management. They won't get up in the morning. And so I'm on them, on them, on them, on them, on them. And that being on our kids, so worried that they're not doing their life right. Not doing school right. Not, not, you know, that they're floundering in some way really is is probably in almost every household that's raising a teen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that definitely resonates with me because those are struggles that we do have, right? Um, the studying and, you know, thinking about university, thinking about your future, time management, all of that. Like, those are conversations that we are having. So can you unpack that for me? Like, what do you mean when we're, should we let them just kind of do their thing? Like, where do you step in as a parent and when do you let them make their own mistakes? Um, so if we can think about it philosophically, you know, developmentally speaking, maturation 
of the species, like adolescents, we, we, we're extending it longer and longer all the time. If you remember that like Cleopatra was running, she was the, the head of Egypt when she was 14 years old, that, that most people would have been out of the parental home and starting their own nuclear family at 16 or 17. That, that a lot of adolescence is, is um, there's a lot of research to show that it's, it's a manufactured piece of development from North American culture, that, that other societies have better ways of having ceremonies to launch their youth into adulthood. And so we hold them back. So if you can think about it as if you've got a teenager in your house and they're actually a, a uh, a person in their own right, a young adult, an, their own person. And we have to provide guidance to them, yes. But I would say, where does their behavior and choices impact the community of the family? And so this is very much the same as, as like, how, how do you deal with your neighbors? You know, we can say, listen, um, you have your individual right to play your music as loud as you want. It's your home. You're my neighbor. You can do what you want. But as a society, we say if your music is too loud after 11 o'clock at night, when most people go to bed, then, you know, you need to turn the music down so that the greater society can sleep. Right. So that's the same with a teen. Like if their bedrooms are messy, uh, that, that has no impact on me. That's like, I guess you choose to live in a room that's that messy. Like unless it's going to invite cockroaches, it's none of my damn business whether their bed is made and whether their flo- their clothes are on the floor. It's, it's, that's like, I'm, I don't go over to my neighbor's house and knock on the door and say, excuse me, your bedroom's messy. <laughs> so I wouldn't assume to do it with my teenager. You know, I might say, if you want the, the cleaning lady to vacuum the carpet, you might want to think about having your clothes picked up and on the bed or something, but it's, it's really, it's really none of my business. And, you know, I've taught you everything I know about nutrition by the time you're a teenage, I don't know how you're going to eat, but I'm going to buy good stuff in the house. And, um, you know, uh, you'll, you'll decide for you. And so if you, again, going back to those teen years, you'll remember we ate like crap when we were teenagers and, you know, our rooms were pigs when we were teenagers. But by the time we actually like finished going through that phase, most of us have a modicum of better eating habits and, you know, more hygienic ways that we keep our houses. So, um, you know, it's sort of like you do you, I'll do me, but, um, so long as what you're doing isn't impacting. So I don't want you like vaping in my face, you know, and I can tell you all the reasons why I think vaping is, is bad. Um, and my concerns about that, but you can't make kids do anything. All you can do is hope to have a good enough relationship that you can influence them in a positive direction. Okay. So this is super interesting for me. So say, you know, you are dealing with vaping or say you're dealing with underage drinking or, um, not completing homework and are going to fail a class and things like that. Like, how would you respond to that? Cause it's a struggle, right? Cause you want to provide consequences for behavior and help them make decisions that are going to help them move forward. But is that something that they need to figure out on their own? Or, oh, I well, well, I think it's about having um, it's about having a conversation that's an open conversation um, that comes from a position of of love. And when we come at it as no child of mine is ever gonna, uh, when we get angry, when we start to to try to force children to mind our will, to live under our thumb, to do as I say, they tune out. And then the conversation stops and we aren't 
effective at, at getting what we want, which is to bring about some changes in their attitudes, changes in their thinking, changes in their behavior. And so we have to keep those, that dialogue going and change can take a while. It can, it can be slow to, to get kids to kind of come around to some of these things, but it's still the power of the relationship that's going to get us there. So, you know, with homework, you know, we, we might say, listen, I'm, I'm really concerned that, um, your marks have been dropping since you started high school. And, um, I know that the the curriculum is is way harder and everything, but you know, let's let's talk about what kind of marks are you hoping to get this this term? What subjects are you struggling with? And uh, help me understand what's making that more of a struggle. And and as we ask these curiosity questions, and if they're opening up and sharing with us, um, and we've proven that we're not going to be harsh with them, then they're more likely to divulge. And it might be something like, I really hate the teacher. Well, then we can have that conversation. Or they might say, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm falling behind. I just don't get it. Well, that's that's solvable. You know, do we need to think about a tutor? So I think it's really in having these good conversations that we can speak to our kids about what, what are you hoping for yourself and how can I be an assistant to you as you run your life? The minute we say you're not running your life well, so I'm going to run it for you, that's when our kids are going to check out. So it's got to be their goal. They have to be the stakeholders. So yeah, we can say I have concerns or, you know, what I, something I know about you is that you don't like to get behind or something I know about you is you struggle with. You can share your insights. But when you say you're having a problem with school, I've identified that. And the identified solution is you're not going to anyone's house until after you've done two hours of homework every night. Like when we impose those kind of restrictions, the animosity that happens, that even if you get them to sit down, they're probably going to piss away the time or, you know, they're going to tell you they're done and lie or all they do when we use control methods of parenting, you either get kids who outwardly rebel or they quietly sneak around you or you raise a kid who's a real pleaser and pleasing type people. It might look good on first flush, but there's a long-term cost to people that are pleasers. You know, they are more influenced by peer pressure. They lose their own identity. They get very lost in adulthood. They're always looking for external validation. You know, there's costs to that too. So I really, I want them to own the goal. I want them to be a stakeholder in, in how they're leading their lives. And I can share my thoughts about that. Oh my gosh. So we literally just did a grounding for not being prepared for a test. <laughs> like literally just did exactly what you said not to do. This is so good. <laughs> okay. Question for you though. Yeah. What if, you know, they're making these decisions and I'm not saying this is our situation right now, but what if they're making these decisions and they're now like, you know, failing at a school or they're making decisions that are going to ultimately impact their life in a larger way? Do you still take that same approach? Yeah. I, I hope people aren't hearing that I'm be saying that I'm being cavalier. Um, a lot of people confuse this with being really permissive doormat parenting. And I'm absolutely not saying that at all. I would when we see kids checking out of school, they're really deeply discouraged as learners. And we, we have to really separate out, you know, the, the, the defiant kid or the, or the, the kid who is never going to be that jazzed up about school. I mean, parents get this whole thing, about you are not reaching your potential. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we got to drop this whole potential. Like each kid is going to kind of find their comfort zone of how important this is and how hard they're going to work for it. Very few kids actually want to like, if they're at the dropping out point, you got to know they are beating themselves up hard. Kids know that you're not supposed to fail out of school. They know that's a sign of failing at life. 
That's not something they choose, like want to do. So these kids are deeply discouraged at that point. So I would hope that before they're failing a whole grade, you're dealing with this when they just fail a test or when their marks start to hover around the 50s and you start checking in around, wow, this you are really struggling and I have great compassion for you. You know, what can we do to create some supports to get you back into that positive zone? Um, and you need to work with the school and work with the kid and find out. Sometimes there's a quiet learning disability. There, you know, there can be all kinds of things. It, it, it can be that they're in a... If you have social problems, it's very hard to learn at school. The kids that are being bullied, they don't have time for academic stuff. Kids who have parents going under divorce, they're, they're so flooded, they don't have time to think about school. So there can be other global things that are going on with a kid who's really struggling. So yeah, go ahead, fail a test. I want kids to put together, and this is an important construct that kids need to learn, that when you increase your effort, you will increase your output. And I know that that sounds like a stupid thing for you and I with adult brains. To, we're like, duh. But believe it or not, kids do not connect the dots. Kids actually think if they get a bad mark on a paper, they'll say, well, the teacher didn't like me. Mm-hmm. They honestly do not know. They think they're smart people and stupid people and, and that these marks are related to like some scale that's, that they don't think it's changeable. So there's a lot of work that Carol Dweck has done with students around mindset, whether you're smart or not smart, or whether you actually work hard and put effort in to increase your grades. And once kids can kind of get that hot diggity, when I spend that extra two hours on my essay, my grade goes up by 10%. And given that I want to get this mark on my next paper, I'm going to put in the two extra hours if it's important to me. But we got to be okay with the kid who says, yeah, I'm all right with 70. And usually what ends up happening is by the time they start getting into high school and they start, the teachers start talking about career paths and university entrances and they start to see what they need, usually the rubber hits the road when they, you know, at that, when they start getting closer to their dreams. But it's breaking my heart. I mean, I literally, there's literally kids in grade five showing up at emergency wards, having panic attacks because they failed a test and they're not going to go to Harvard. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, buddy, man, like if, if, if the story that we tell all our kids is, you know, that only the creme de la creme are going to make it in this world, um, of course you'd check out if you didn't think that you were made from that cloth. Why would you put any effort in? You're like, oh, I guess I'm going to be a bricklayer. And can I say, and what is wrong with that? We got to open our minds to the fact that there's nothing wrong with going into the trades. Like I really believe that every child on this planet has some quality about them that they can turn into the service of another human being and turn it into some occupation. And we got to stop thinking that the only people that matter are people that have a degree in STEM, (laughs) which is kind of what kids hear. For sure. And you know, we've been talking about this a lot too. There things are, times are changing too. And, you know, the university degree isn't what it used to be either. Absolutely. There are, you know, jobs and professions that you need to have that university degree or that post-secondary, but there's also people who are killing it in life through Google searches and, you know, self-learning and that kind of stuff. Like it's, the jobs are changing. And that's what I've said to the kids too. You don't know what you're going to do. Like, you don't know what you can create a business. You don't know what the jobs are going to be. So I do think as parents, because we're coming from it with our perspective and what was important when we were growing up, times are a little different too. Yeah. And I I think too, we have to be aware that there's um, a societal investment to say kids are going to fill the next workforce. And so therefore we need to prepare our little worker bees for, for life. 
versus thinking of education as lifelong learning and a way to develop yourself. And, you know, whatever happened to good old liberal arts college where you just went and learned, you know, about stoic philosophers and about, you know, feminist history and, you know, we training kids to think, training kids to have skills that could be applied to anything. Nothing wrong with being a generalist. So I, I think that parents are fearful and that's why they crack down on their kids and then kids get fearful. And I think we need to just like all stop and just take a deep breath. Like we're growing a human being who has human potential and let's not get the, in the way of them <laughs> there to your point. Uh, kids learn amazingly. If, if we would step out of their way, I, the whole education system needs to be overhauled, but you know, give them a computer and let them get, let them follow their passion. They'll, the brain is wired for learning. It, making them show up in a, in a classroom to write on eight and a half by 11 sheets of paper is so archaic. It's like ridiculous. Yeah. And that's a different topic for a different day yeah, for sure. Yeah, I could yeah. totally <laughs> go on about that. Now I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about attitude from teenagers. So this is a platform for stepmoms for the most part. Most of my following are stepmoms. So stepmoms struggle with attitudes from teenagers. Like there seems to be a lack of respect or an authority. Like, do you have any advice for stepmoms who are seeking teenage, like they want the teenagers to respect them. They don't want to get the eye rolls or the, I don't have to listen to you. You're not my mom. What, how, how do you, uh, I have my own kind of take on this, but how do you suggest that stepmoms respond to that? Uh, well, I, I would say like from a counseling perspective, I'm working with kids when a new partner is being introduced to the family and I get very clear on, you know, this is not your mother. No one will replace your mother because they have a hard time with split loyalties that way. But it's another adult in the house. And, and like any other adult, our goal in life is to be big hearted enough to always be respectful, respectful to everybody, respectful to uh, your neighbor, respect, respectful to the guy who drives the bus and respectful to this other person that called your stepmom living in the house. So I think respect is, is a requirement and hopefully that the relationship grows, that you actually enjoy a friendly relationship with them. That's, you know, respect and hope, hope for friendship is, is a great thing, but now you have to run this household together. And this is why I'm a big proponent of family meetings because in a family meeting, you're talking, you're coming together as a family and you're saying, Hey, we all share this house. How are we all going to get along? So think of it as like, you know, uh, moving into a house in second year university, like a dorm or out of the dorm and into a a house with, you know, a couple of your friends and you have to sit down and say, how is this going to work? Are we going to like buy all the groceries together and like split it four ways? Or uh, what are we going to do about cooking? Are we going to like everyone make their own meal or do we share the peanut butter? How's all going to work? Who's going to take out the garbage? So you need to do the same thing. You sit down as a step family and say, like, how, how is this all going to go? How do we make this work for all of us with our different schedules and wants and desires? And as you start to make up some agreements about how it's going to go, then when you have to step in and say to a kid, hey, 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 we said we were going to not, you know, leave our crap on the counter. You, you need to pick up your your stuff. It doesn't come from a place of you're not my mom. Who are you to tell me what to do? It's about, no, we all came together and we made an agreement about how we were going to function together. So I'm just reminding you of what we agreed to. And so it it only really works if you do that piece about sitting down and and having the meetings. So I think family meetings are so critical when you, for all families, but most especially when you're in a step-parent situation. Yeah, I love that. Because I do think we often come in as the stepmom and we just assume that things are going to work the same way as they would in a first family. And the mom would have the mom role and the stepmom takes on kind of that motherly role in the home. And then when you're not received in that same way, 
then your back's up and you're like, well, you need to respect me. I'm an adult in this house, but there hasn't been any of that groundwork just to kind of check in and see where everyone is at. Yeah. And, and definitely, I mean, I'm sure you've talked about this, you know, and it's pretty standard advice. You know, if there's, if the two of you are biological dad and stepmom are together and a child is whatever, bubbling their milk at the table or, you know, whatever the, the discipline defaults to the biological parent, certainly in the beginning, you know, and, and, and again, hopefully dealing with kids can, with teens anyways, can be resolved in other ways than just outright in the moment discipline. Because mostly kids just think, great, more people to boss me around, which goes back to that why it's not okay to use control methodology with kids. They're sick of it. They're suspicious of all adults pushing them around. So for them, it's just like, God, another one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I got enough. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like little kids if you marry and you have a a baby together, but both of you brought older kids into the relationship. And so now you got like this four-year-old, but they've got like a 16, 17, 18 and 21 year old sibling set from previous marriages. They're like, Oh my God, I have six parents. Yeah. Everyone's pushing me around. So that's how a step parent feels. It's like, Oh my God, I got my mom and dad. Now I get you too. So it's not so much about you. It's about now it's three, not that it's you. It's just three people telling you what to do is worse than two. Okay, I'm going to interrupt this podcast episode for a quick second because I want to make sure that you're in the loop. Now, most of you know I have created an exclusive online community for stepmoms entirely off of social media where we have next level, raw and real private conversations in an exclusive forum, exclusive content I don't share anywhere else, interviews with experts, private podcast episodes, and live Q&As. Now, on April 1st, my husband, Darren, and I are releasing an exclusive podcast episode sharing how we parent teenagers in our blended family. In addition to our five-year-old, we currently have three teenagers in the house, age 13, 15, and 17. So we are definitely in the trenches of teenagers. We have shifted our parenting style as the kids have gotten older, and after several requests, we are going to share how we do it, including how my role as a stepmom has completely changed. If you're a member, you can expect that content on April 1st. And if you're not a member but want to become one, I've linked it in the description below. You can join via www.jamiescrimger.com forward slash membership. Now, if you do join, be sure to pop into the Ask Jamie section of the forum and say hello. All right, now let's get back to the episode. There was a time in our step family life where I was just kind of struggling with one of my stepkids. We just weren't on the same page. And I do think, you know, I was trying to find my place as a parent in this house. And, you know, they were trying to just kind of navigate this new change too. And we just had a really frank conversation. And I said, look, you don't have to like me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really have to like you either. But we are going to be living in this house together. And we need to find a way to make this work because – This tension, like I know that I feel it and I'm sure you feel it. And this isn't a way for anyone to live. Like this is uncomfortable. And just kind of having, I think, frank conversations with teenagers too. They, they like that. They appreciate that frankness and just saying, this is the way it is, but like, how are we going to deal? They want to feel like they have some sort of say. Oh yeah. Yeah. To have a voice is really important. And, and to, and to your point, to put language to something you're experiencing, it's like, otherwise it's just a pink elephant in the room. So of course you want to talk about it. And I think to, to say it, you know, in a respectful way is also 
showing the child that you have enough respect for their maturity to handle it, that you're not trying to emotionally protect them. That you're like, that's what that frank conversation is. I think that you're mature enough to have a full conversation about this. Whereas hiding it or, or, you know, trying to sidestep it sort of says, ah, you know what? I don't, I don't think they can handle that, which is Mm -hmm. really a a discouraging message to send. It's a, it's saying, I don't have faith in you. It's again, infantilizing, it's infantilizing them and they want to be talked to like mature, respectful people that can handle mature, respectful conversations. Yeah. One of the big things that we love to do is the kids will be like, when do you want me home tonight? Or when do I need to be home? Like, what's my curfew? And I always say, well, what do you think? And what's what's a reasonable time? Yeah. And, you know, you can have a negotiation. It's interesting, too, because typically the times that they will say are earlier than what I was going to say. (laughs) That's so true. And even with um, when you do consequences, it's like, oh, well, what do you think should happen since you took the car and you didn't bring it back? Whatever. They same thing. They will come up with like the harshest, like, well, you should ground me for a month. You're like, wow, man, that's like really harsh. I wasn't thinking that at all. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. Okay, so let's talk about consequences for a second. So you don't want to be you know, using methods of control and that piece. But I do think there are consequences for behavior. Like you do, you know, you speed, you get a ticket, stuff like that in real life. Yeah. yeah. You, you, you don't study for a test. You get a bad mark. Enough done. Enough so said. should that be the con? That's that just the consequence? the consequence. That is the consequence. Should there be parental consequences on top of that? No, I don't think you should double dip on That's like if you get in trouble at school and then there's a note in your agenda saying that you were bad at school. So then your parents make you write lines at home. So now you get, they get punished twice. That's like, that feels so unfair to a kid. So, um, like I, I do love consequences, but the, the idea to your point, which is when you make a choice and behave a certain way, certain things unfold and kids just need to not be protected from the reality of their choices. And sometimes we have to actually, what we call natural consequences, we don't need to step in at all. If you leave your clothes in the washing machine for three days without putting them in the dryer, they will smell like mold. I don't, mother nature does that. I didn't do anything to to make the mold. That's just welcome to natural consequences. That's how the universe unfolds, right? If you stay up late, you are going to wake up tired. That's just the, the natural universe unfolding. But logical consequences are about social laws. They're, they're about how we live together, right? So I might do something like, uh, well, to your point about speeding, you know, the reason why we have fines for speeding is because you, sh- you don't live on the road alone. There's other people that you're putting at risk when you drive like that. And so it's a, it's a societal thing. Um, and so same thing is like, let's say washing hands, um, which is kind of big right now, since we're in the middle of this coronavirus, you know, I can't force a kid to wash their hands, but I can say it's a requirement of coming to the dinner table that people have clean hands. So I don't, you're free to decide what you want to do. Um, but I'll just, I'll just be in control, not of you, not of your decisions, but I'll be in control of the social order of the family, which is I won't provide food to people with dirty hands, unwashed hands. Um, mm-hmm. so I can't make you put your clothes in the laundry hamper, but I can say I'm only willing to do laundry for people who's I'll only wash clothes that are in a hamper. So those are sort of some examples of consequences and to make them really sweet, just for clarity, because par- here's where parents get consequences wrong. They don't make them logical. What it, parents end up doing is when kids do something that parents don't like, they will take away their iPad or their cell phone. You know, I didn't, you know, you were late for curfew. I'm taking away your phone. You said you were going to 
uh, get dinner started so that we could get out to hockey on time and you didn't get dinner started. So I'm taking away your cell phone. The logical part is that it has to be related, right? So it makes sense if you don't wash your hands that you don't get your meal. Kids understand that. If you don't wear your helmet, you lose your bike privileges. Kids understand that it's logical. They're connected. It's when you just randomly pull some other thing out of your hat, it just feels punitive and it is punitive. So it's not based on education. It's just based on making you suffer. So I would say make sure that they're logical. And the other thing is you you have to really do them. Parents just love to threaten consequences. And the kids don't learn from the threat. They learn from experiencing it. So don't be throwing around, you know, we're not going to go on this trip. If your marks fall below this thing, then we're not going to go on that trip to March break trip. Because you're not going to cancel the tickets. You're not going to go. You're just you're just using it as a way of threatening. And then kids just learn to disregard what you're saying. And when you do then finally follow through, they actually weren't expecting it. And they feel that they've been treated very unfairly. So so if you if you state them, make them logical and make sure that you actually implement them and just do it in a way that, again, doesn't have to be angrily. It can just be like, yeah, I'm really sorry. I know it's. That was the agreement. And I'm sure this is tough. Like I had a thing with my daughter with her phone package. And I said, like, I'll pay your data plan for this, but you have to pay for the overs. And I told her several times, so look, I'm really concerned that you don't know how big a data plan can be. And she kept giving me attitude. Ah, I know, whatever. And I'm like, OK, I'm, I'm, you know, just I just really feel like if I don't share the information that you'll be really upset with me when the bill comes in, because I've already told you I'm not paying above my package. So sure enough, when it came in, she owed 200 bucks. So I didn't have I didn't have to be all nana nana nana. I told you I was really compassionate. I was like, oh, man, 200 bucks. I'm so sorry. We need to work out a pay- payment plan. So I still followed through with collecting the $200. It took her several months, but I, I didn't, I didn't get all pissy about it. I was like, I felt bad for her, but I still impl- implemented the consequence. And, and you know what? That never happened a second time. And my kids are amazing with money. <laughs> yeah, that's smart. That's smart. I don't know. I think I, this is, I think where teenagers are so hard because I feel like there's a bit of this balance between obviously like providing the natural consequences, letting them develop and like figure out their own way of life and dealing with that kind of stuff. But at what point do you as a parent, because I know that there's people in our community who are struggling with kids who are like going to fail at a school or who are, you know, really making bad choices with who they're spending time with and making, you know, reckless choices that impact their future, but also you know, could impact their safety? Like at what point does a parent intervene? Yeah. So again, there is, I'm, I'm fine with the word intervene. I'm fine with the word mediate, discuss, even again, because I'm a counselor, when you start getting into critical issues that you think are like life determining and you're having trouble, uh, swaying behavior, then you need to come to counseling. And hopefully your kid will come to counseling too. It's weird. Teens always think don't want to come to counseling because they think that it's been, again, suspicious of adults and that they are hearing that I'm the problem. You think I'm a problem. You you think I'm broken and you want me to go to counseling and fix me so that you're happy. And so they don't want to come. But when you finally get them in the room and they realize that we are advocating for them and that we're seeing what's going on behind the behaviors of picking the bad friends of starting to try drugs of, of, you know, risky sexual behavior, whatever it might be, school dropout. And finally it's like, somebody understands my pain. Oh my gosh. That they're, 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 they love coming to counseling. They love it. So as, as parents, if we can just say, wow, what's the magic that these counselors have that we don't have, 
What are they talking to our kids about that these kids are so happy and able to motivate their behavior change? Every parent can have, be a therapeutic change agent to their child if they can understand that behind these bad choices or, or, or these detrimental actions or whatever you're seeing, that there's a story behind it. And it usually comes from something that's based in pain, fear, stress, and dig for that story in a compassionate way, rather than just simply thinking you're making bad choices. So I'm going to step in and, and start controlling you. It just will not have the outcome that you want, but you can say, I'm like seriously concerned that, you know, since you've been hanging out with these these friends, your marks have gone down. I'm concerned that some of them actually have, um, have got some drug habits. That's really concerning to me. And, and as much as I'd love to trust you to not make those choices yourself, I, I know how easy it is to have an oopsie moment and how quickly addiction can grip you. You know, I mean, that, that kind of thing, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. rather than saying, rather than saying, no, you can't go there. <laughs> um, but you know, there, again, that's part of showing trust when you say, you know what? I really trust you to manage that situation. It's not, it's not ideal, but I, I trust you. But then there's certainly, there has been times where I have said, you know what, of the many places that you are allowed to go, that house is not supervised. I'm concerned about the parents. I'm concerned about what happens in that household. That does not feel like a safe environment for me to allow you to go. I'm happy to have that kid come to our house, but I'm going to have to put that on the no-go list. And um, you might think I'm being unreasonable, but it comes from a place of love. And so you can do that so long as you, what, what I say is it, it, when you've got adolescence, you don't get, you only have a couple of really few times where you can kind of play the big hammer. No. So don't waste it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If you say no over every little thing, then you don't get those special moments where you say, you know what? I got to pull one of those big no cards where you just have to know that I love you and trust you. And this one is just beyond. And so that they all see that as being reasonable. If you're kind of a reasonable person in all these other areas. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Yes. Don't like, you overuse know, I, your nose. No. And, and so like to the, to the point of um, missing the test or whatever, I had a, an agreement with my daughters that they could take a mental health day once a semester, so long as they weren't skipping some obligation. So I wouldn't actually let them do it on a test day, but I was like, don't fake, don't lie to me. I don't want you to, if you, if, if you have to get your way by lying, then we got a problem, but it's reasonable to me that, you know, one might both want to check out. I do like, come on, don't you seriously, Jamie, you don't have a day where you don't do your podcast and whatever. Like we have uh, days yeah. where we do, where we do self-care. Right. So it's like, you know what, if you were just over flooded, what you need is just to like stay at home and binge watch Grey's Anatomy, <laughs> have a cup of tea, then look after yourself and you can do that once a term. So then that way they feel like I'm being reasonable to understanding, but it also means that on the days where I say, no, I'm sorry, it's a test. I, you know, I know, sorry, I gotta go. They're more likely to listen to that too. Yeah. Very, very true. Okay. That was all so helpful. I feel like I was just in like therapy myself. Um, (laughs) Okay. So I have some questions that were sent in from Instagram. So we're going to do as quickly as we can. Um, Some of them are a little bit loaded, but it's going to hammer through some rapid fire questions um, that people are wondering. And I, you know what, I think we're going to have to have you back, Allison, because you, there's a lot of questions. People are struggling. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there, and, and, and to, and to your point, um, uh, you know, we sort of, I talked, I gave deeper answers because they're complex issues, but I will for the rapid fire round, try to just boom, give some quick advice, get in, get out. <laughs> All right. Get in, get out. How much yeah. privacy should teenagers have with their cell phones? 
a lot when they're older teens, but in the beginning, it should be a requirement that I just need to do a spot check to make sure you're safe. If I keep finding good content, good exchanges, then I'll check less and less. And and, uh, frankly, I've hardly ever checked my kids' phones at all. Yeah. Okay. Love it. Alcohol. Some parents buy it for their underage kids because it's safer. Terrible idea. No, no. I have a whole program called hashtag family talk. If you want all the advice I have on preventing underage drinking, it's on my YouTube channel. Um, you are really sending mixed messages, um, to kids when you do that. Um, and it's, you're, you're, you're glorifying the right to drink and things. So, um, uh, you're going to come across as being a hypocrite, um, later down the road. So, Nope. Just say, I'm sorry. It's illegal. I don't support illegal behaviors. I don't pick and choose which illegal behaviors I like or don't like, but you're minor. Sorry. That's the law. Okay. I'm going to link that for people as well. Okay. Um, how do you respond when your teenager is the mean one or the bully among the group? Uh, depending if they're really bullying, uh, again, I would leave that for counseling because there's something deep going on there. But I would also ask the question, how is this useful? Usually this dominating thing, it means that there's a deficit in some social skills and it usually comes from having a low self-esteem. So I might actually point out to them, you know how little dogs have a big bark? <laughs> you know, people that are pushy usually are, you know, it's an overcompensation for actually feeling small inside. So what's going on with you? And usually I'm not, I don't want to look like I'm small inside. Well, you know, when you kind of get bossy like that, okay, you actually kind of look like you're not doing okay. So sometimes that'll kind of squelch it. Yeah. Some real talk about. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. What do you do when your teenager has attitude all the time? Uh, check your own attitude. Usually it's like a little bit of a mirror reflection. We're like, like I said, we call it parenting. We don't realize we're being rude, but we give attitude to teens. They give it right back to us. So first stop yours, catch your tone, watch your language. Don't talk down. Um, and then know that they're being provocative when they use their tone and you don't need to be affected by it. Just pretend you're putting on a Teflon jacket and the words, the tone hits you and it just slides off. So, you know, if they go, I hate meatloaf, why did you make meatloaf? You can just say, Oh, I'm really sorry. You don't like meatloaf. Maybe we'll have something different tomorrow. Don't, you don't have to, you don't have to get emotional about it. Just go on. Yeah. Don't give them the reaction that they're thinking they're going to get. Yeah. Just, yeah. You don't have to just, just tune out to the tone. Just, uh, it's like, um, it's like a little quiet form of protest. Like when you tell a four-year-old or whatever, you know, you have to go to a timeout. They still go to the timeout, but they stomp their feet all the way up the stairs. They're still moving along. They're just saying I'm doing it and I don't like it. So, you know, you don't, you don't have to get upset or mad about it. Just, just plow on with your own positive attitude. Okay. So on that same note, how do I survive the eye rolls and huffing and puffing from my teenage son? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I would, I, first I would find out uh, what the protest is about because they may well have a point. So you might say something like, boy, I can tell by your eyeballs and your sighing there that you're really upset with me. Um, you, you don't like how this is going. Is there something you want to talk about? And they may have a point. Like I said, I have talked to so many teens that I know how parents can be really ridiculous about some things. So you got to be willing to, to, to say maybe they do have a point. Maybe you don't talk about it now, but say put it on the agenda for the family meeting. You clearly don't like our rules about, um, you know, whatever. You re- clearly don't like our our curfew time or you clearly don't like uh, how we're um, holding you accountable for doing chores. Let's put it on the family meeting. So you don't talk about it in the moment. But find out what they're feeling is so unreasonable. Yes, that's very true. Yeah, yeah, because that's not effective communication either, right? When you become an adult, you can't huff and puff around work. Like if you have an issue, you need to bring it up and be able to problem solve. Yeah, exactly. And, and sometimes they're just giving the uh, the huff and puff because it keeps their ego intact. 
like, you know, I want to be independent. I want to be autonomous and you're kind of directing me too much. So yeah, I'm going to be compliant, but I don't want you to feel like I like it. So again, when we get less controlling, when we can move away from control tactics, you're going to get less of that too. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. You are so good, Allison. So <laughs> you have some books. Do you want to oh, just kind of give us the lowdown about the books? Because I feel sure. like people listening to this are going to be like, okay, I'm going to need a little more Allison in my life. Love it, please. So the, I have three books. Um, Breaking the Good Mom Myth was my first one. It's, um, all the things that we do as mothers that we think are really great for our kids that turn out from a psychological basis to actually not be. <laughs> uh, the next one is Honey, I Wrecked the Kids. That's my book on discipline. So if you've been fascinated by the consequences, the family meetings, other ways to do discipline, check out that book. And then the last is Ain't Misbehaving, which is just a solution book. So if you don't have time to read a book, you just want to go to like page 56, you know, kid refuses to do homework. It just is one page or why they do it and a bunch of tools to, to help. It skews a little bit younger. Can I say, cause you've got a, a more of a teen tween teen group. It skews a little bit younger. Um, so check out the, um, the index to see if your problems are listed there, but they came from all the, like, just like you asking on Instagram for questions. I just, these are just the questions that are the most popular that come into me. So. Okay, perfect. I'm going to link all the resources and we will be good to go. Yes. Yeah, so, um, and, and certainly I still, uh, post lots on my social media channels and on my website, I've got lots of vlogs and blogs for people. So, you know, continue asking me questions. We'll get together again, Jamie. And thanks for all you do in the world of parenting. Parents really love to feel supported by other people that are living the same shared experience. So, uh, thanks for having a positive platform for, for stepmoms. Well, thank you. And thank you so much for being on the show. We will be chatting soon. Great. Okay, guys, if you like this podcast, please do me a little favor. Take a second and subscribe on iTunes and then screenshot this podcast. Give it a share in social media and tell your friends what you think. And hey, don't forget to tag me so that I can thank you for helping me spread the word. Thanks so much. And I will talk to you next week.